Hello, and welcome to episode 16 of the Catching Up Podcast, Wait, the weekly on. show that comes out once a month. <laughs> <laughs> You're already fucked up. <laughs> no. Hold on. Should we do a cold open? Should we just start recording no, while we're talking? We're not, we're not doing a cold this? open. No. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. Go ahead. We'll start now. Go ahead. All right. Hit record. Okay. All right. We're good. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to episode 16 of the Catching Up Podcast, the weekly show that comes out once a month, hopefully. I am your host, Alex Ruff, and joining me today is Kentucky's prodigal son, Big Bank and Robbie Russell. Uh, hi, Alex. Thanks for having me. Thanks, dude. <coughs> Thanks for trying to fuck up that intro. Make sure you cough directly into the microphone. <laughs> I actually installed a cough button, so it's just cool. not working right now. Thank you, friend. Thank you for joining me all the way from the great bean town. No problem. I just actually just finished up some clam chowder, so it's <laughs> good. This, this is my material. This is what you can expect. I tried not to make that joke earlier, and I, I actually scratched out on my little pad up here. No jokes about clam chowder. No saying about Harvard or Ben Affleck. Mm. But I was going to say... Cincinnati is getting a little piece of Boston because we're getting the Wahlburgers, baby. Wow, that's very exciting. <laughs> you know, I was talking about that the other day, actually. I think I did hear that you guys are getting a Wahlburgers, but yeah. I'm, I'm actually, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that's happening. We're on the up and up. You'll catch us, catch me on season probably seven of Wahlburgers. I guess so, if you could call it that. <laughs> you know, I actually never knew that was a show. You're missing out. Yeah. It's kind of been crazy how easy it is to get that off your radar, even in Boston. Yeah, I think I think it's because it's probably not interesting. Mm. Well, it's interesting to somebody. I guess that's true. Have you heard about, this is going to probably be cut, but have you heard about Rob Lowe's reality show? No. What? <laughs> I, try okay. to, I try to actively avoid any uh, reality show. Uh, no. News. This is one to get back on board on. Rob Lowe has a reality TV show that I have not watched yet as of the time of this recording. But he gets with his sons and they investigate paranormal activity. So like oh, he tried fuck. Yeah. <laughs> I've heard of this. I've heard of this show. Yeah. He tries to find Bigfoot Koopa Chabra? Koopa Chabra. Yeah. Yes. It's, I really want to watch it. It sounds it seems like a parody show, like a April Fool's Day prank. I like can't tell if Rob Lowe shoots it straight or not. I can't tell I if know. he's like in on it or if he's just trying to, if he's just got everybody. I mean, he, he is the best and he's like still crazy handsome. Um, okay. Yeah, well, that's not an argument. He's like an old handsome I don't man. Know. I, don't, I wouldn't agree. I wouldn't agree. <sighs> You're a fool, my friend. You're a, you are a fool making fun of the okay. Wayne's World that's villain. A, that's a separate podcast. Talking about Rob Lowe's attractiveness level. Yeah. So, we came here today for episode 16 to talk about maybe the nerdiest topic I've done. I don't know. Was By the way, pod- I, wait, I want to leave everyone in, in suspense. I want to leave the topic just another oh. a few minutes more out in the future. Okay. Um, I'm proud to be in episode 16 of this podcast. Thank it's you. Crazy. I, you know, I wouldn't have guessed 16. I would have guessed probably like nine. Yeah, or thank eight. you. <laughs> I've seen them come across, and I, I'm definitely am always supportive. But I feel like it's been running longer than I would have imagined. I figured it, you would have given up by now. Uh, I'm not giving up, but my schedule has always been bad because I am bad at planning things. 
right now I have probably five episodes I'm supposed to do. And all I have to do is be like, hey, can we record this weekend? And they'll say, yeah, but I have not done it. Yeah, we're both to blame. I know I'm just I'm just as guilty. There have been times when, when you've been available that I've totally blown you off. Yeah, we tried to record and apparently squirrels ate my internet wire, so I had no internet. That's, that's also a good story. You know, I've never lost internet from a reason that that's, that, that is that crazy. Yeah. Uh, the Time Warner Cable Guy came here and he was all like, man, I just want you to know I fucking hate squirrels. And I was like, I don't know why you're telling me this. and he's like oh no squirrels are like they ate through your wire and i was like oh shit that sucks oh wow that's that's such a good like that's a good setup too because i guarantee anyone who's had internet problems at one point has thought like the most insane shit has happened that the situation is so they've tried everything and so they tell their girlfriend or their wife or whatever they're like Maybe the squirrel chewed through the wire or like some crazy like shit happened. Some thunderstorm recently just totally screwed everything up. And it's something you just totally push out of the back of your mind or totally get shot down. And then you, you're there for everybody that that had that thought. And it obviously wasn't that <laughs> you're you're here to tell the tale that that yeah. is a possibility to keep dreaming. <laughs> I like the idea that there are. Like internet technicians driving around who just have vendettas against squirrels, and I'm sure there are squirrels that have vendettas against them. Yeah, he seemed really mad, and like his girlfriend called when he was done. You know, not professional. He got docked for his little rating, but he called his girlfriend. And he's like, "Hey, babe, you know how I told you I hate squirrels? Well, guess what happened?" Mm. So it's apparently wow, it's okay. a thing. That's a big day for him then. Yeah, now I he's am- got more. He's got more evidence now to now he can go to city hall. Now he can finally win that fight with his girlfriend that squirrels suck. It's true. It's true. We're oh, here to okay. talk about the tabletop board game Dungeons and Dragons. Now, I know you're a lover of the game, not necessarily an expert of the game, but I have. I'm a lover and a fighter. So many questions of the, on this game. So, okay. This, this episode might be now. way more boring than the other ones. It's just me asking questions about, like, how do dice work? It's just, that's Maybe. my plan. Have you ever seen um, a die, like in person? Uh, I have, because I buy so, comics. So most times you would see them, they're white, and they have Ooh. like little black divots in them, right? So, Hold on, so wait, on one side there'd be I've one, seen a pair of die, like... and, then, and then there's, on another side there are two. Okay. okay. Oh, okay. And then well, there are six sides, like a little cube. So there's one, side one, then there's side two. What are the other sides? Uh, so there are six sides on the die, okay. so then it goes up to six. So we got side one, mm-hmm. side two, mm-hmm. side... Uh, there's definitely like a side six, right? Yes, there is. So like in between, we probably have like a side... I'm going to guess a side three. Right, yes. Side four. Mm-hmm. And to round it there. all out, side five. It. Yep, well, rounds it these. out. Round. I I like that you 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 said round it out for a die. That's good. That's yeah, thank you. That's very clever. Mm-hmm. So, Robbie, of all yes. of our pop culture things, why didn't you talk about Mark Wahlberg? Why didn't you talk let's, about Ben Affleck or Matt Damon? Well, why did you pick first, Dungeons and Dragons? Let's let's start at square one. Is is D and D pop culture? I think so. I think it's as much of pop culture as podcasts, and it's probably more pop popular than cambodian psychedelic rock music 
That's true. Well, <laughs> like, wait, is it? I don't know. I'm not an expert. I so would I guarantee. I, I want to retract my last statement. If yeah. you please cut that out. <laughs> say that I, I can't say for sure if it is more popular than Cambodian psychedelic music. I just like talking about things that I'm either not familiar with or I think everyone in the world should be familiar with. And I've seen, I know Dungeons and Dragons. It's it's been everywhere growing up. Like it's in cartoons, but they never can say it. They're always playing like a different game. It's all it's in Stranger Things. Yeah, like I think there's like a Hey Arnold episode where they're playing Dungeons and Dragons. Oh, is D and D like trademarked? I guess it probably is. I think so. They're they're always playing like a different game. Mm, okay, but the setup is such that it's like yeah, it's in, one it's guy has totally that, that 3D dungeon master kind of thing. Yeah, the trifold. Yeah, all the, right. The DM screen, so if you will. Tell me, tell me why you picked this, and then let's get into the nitty gritty about this actual game. Well, well, actually, so I picked it because I've I've definitely been playing it a lot recently, and I do really enjoy it. But you know, I I wanted to bring up. I think you made an interesting point about D and D being in pop culture. I think that with podcasts. I think it's definitely in pop culture in so much that podcasts are. The fact that it is definitely a recent phenomenon that I certainly can't speak to it as someone who has definitely been a, a, a late adopter of it. But pod, but podcasts and, and D&D have definitely been sort of a had a recent rise where I guess a lot of people that I guess D&D is, is an, even an interesting beast because people have obviously been playing it for a very long time. Yeah, came I mean, out in 1974. The are such that you can play so long as you have, what, two two or more people and, and can, you know, create create an experience in the theater of the mind or, or on grid paper or whatever. It doesn't obviously require a lot. It doesn't have a lot of dependencies. So it's interesting to see a game that old that is just now kind of, gaining in a popularity that hasn't experienced in decades yeah i do it's a weird thing that always has like a a constant presence i feel like there are video games about dungeons and dragons there's like there's always comic books there's actual books i think there's Mm -hmm. what's that shitty european yule ball i think he made a bunch of dungeons and dragons movies wow oh yeah we could get into Yule ball movies if we really wanted to that's a good one but for another day. Um, I think you made a good point, though, that D&D has definitely always had a presence. But what's changed recently that I think makes it most interesting is the perspective of it. And I think the acceptance of it has changed. Yeah. In the same way that a lot of nerd culture or whatever has become a lot more mainstream, a lot more like the industry is, has grown so big that it is significant and it's viable and it's something to take seriously. I think D&D has definitely seen some some of those similar benefits. And I'm sure there are a lot of people who have been playing for, for decades who think that this is all extremely crazy. And there are probably people who are, who treat it like a like a clubhouse in a tree and, and say, like, you know, this is our thing. You know, now you have all these all these kind of wannabes coming in and doing it. And, you know, they probably feel like their turf is getting stepped on. But I don't I can't really speak for them. All I can only really speak for is my own experiences, which have been really positive. Yeah, I can definitely, like, when I was growing up, like, in high school, I'd be like, this would be, like, the worst. Like, I would never do this. This is way too nerdy, even though I was, you know, playing RPGs and just a big old fucking weird-looking nerd in high school and middle school. 
but for some reason it was like the line I wasn't going to even try to cross. Like, yeah, it was that's a interesting. thing that it always felt too nerdy for me. Like, if I did that, I'm a nerd, like officially yeah, nerd. That's and, that's the breaking point. Yeah, and now it's like if I found out that one of my friends at like my office, is like, oh yeah, I played D and D this week, I'd be like, oh, that makes sense. Like, it just it somehow has gotten. Like you said, the nerd culture is now popular. It is, yeah. It's very much like, um, it's very common. It's yeah. very mainstream. All these damn comic books that I read, and it's terrible. It's true. You can blame Marvel Studios. The yeah. All those movies have definitely done a lot for it, I'm sure. I think you made an interesting point about having it be that sort of breaking point. I bet you speak for a lot of people in saying that. I I definitely remember having those kinds of conversations like in high school about, you know, I, I've always kind of been, I've always been in tune with sort of like music and movies and video games and entertainment like goings on. But, but a lot of people did have those same sort of thoughts about D&D, which I think is interesting. Like I, I kind of understood because in, in the like mainstream media at the time, D and D was definitely the classification of like, oh, these are the outcast nerds or whatever. Yeah. Like in, in television, the depiction was such that that it definitely it it set it cast this image, you know, that a lot of people accepted as as true, and that was kind of how society treated it. But I I never really I I kind of thought that D and D was interesting. It's definitely. You know, because playing a lot of those old adventure games, like it, it's easy to see the translation. Like that's those games are born out of D and D sessions and out of out of understanding that structure. So I always kind of realized that D and D is is really just that. It's something that I enjoyed personally, individually, just in a in taking away all of the dependencies on the technology that made it happen. And yeah, I think that. Sorry, I just. I, I just think that that there's a, something to understand, like an acceptance there with that, that helps helps make it helps remove that stigma. No, that makes complete sense. Like this is the backbone to I think some of the modern role playing games that kids play right now. Like we wouldn't have Skyrim, we wouldn't have The Witcher without Dungeons and Dragons, or like probably even like Game of Thrones. I don't know when. Yeah, probably Game of Thrones based off of stuff like this. Like this kind of collective storytelling together helps you kind of role play yourself. Like, have you, did you see yourself gravitating toward those type of games when you were younger or is this kind of like a newer thing in your lifestyle? Um, I, well, I think D and D is something that is a, definitely new. It's definitely a new undertaking. I was never personally drawn to a lot of those games. I played them because I, I approached them from the practical standpoint of, I heard from a friend or read about, you know, this game taking 60 to 80 hours to finish, you know, but it costs the same amount of money as, you know, a sports game that I can really only play with my brother or a friend. And this one I could play by myself if I just wanted to. And so to me, it was kind of a value proposition that a lot of people still institute in video games to say, like, what, how far does my 50 or $60 get me? You know, and so that was the original appeal of those games to me. And then once I played them, I understood the power of the narrative and and how interesting that stuff could be if you kind of bought in and 
and, you know, let the story unfold as it's meant to be. That's a really interesting idea that you bought it to see like the most cost effective video game. Because now I have a pretty decent job. I have money. And this week I just went out and I bought NBA 2K and I still feel guilty about spending full price on a video game. I'm like, eh, is it really worth 60 or could I wait like two weeks and get it for 55? Like it's always like something said because of when you're a kid, I was literally saving up my money for my grandma so I could buy like the next SOCOM game or like Metal sure. Gear or something. Sure. I never there thought about like to play. Yeah. I never thought about this actually money cost effective, how, how smart it was to get this. Yeah, I used to play. A lot of that stuff um, happens subconsciously. Yeah, I, I think so. Like, threw me for a loop for a second. I like that. Yeah, but you asked about um, about if I was kind of drawn to that style, or if or if D and D was appealing to me because of those experiences. And I think, in a way, yes. But I think what really got me over into exploring the D and D realm and actually trying to get into that space and start start playing it casually was definitely just the the perspective of kind of outside the game you you see what's going on in it and it's really sort of just a shared it's a shared story experience with a group of people right so it's and and this is something that is even like a kind of like a camp game or whatever where people will or if you've ever played the game where someone says a sentence or like a word of a sentence and then the next person has to say the next word yeah. or the next sentence and you kind of build a story together like those are kind of very similar in nature as far as like you take several people with several different experiences several several different histories several different you know wants that they want to get out of the experience and then bring them together and have them have them kind of impose in a sense the those wants and what they want to get out of it on on this shared narrative and then kind of just see what comes out and then you're driven by you know you may have preconceived notions going into it but then you're driven by what's happening organically in front of you and then the story kind of takes its own direction and then you start to see some really interesting like creative outlets of people you may not know maybe from like a meetup group who have similar interests in wanting to tell a story like that or in my experience get that from people that you know very well who you think you know their their like habits or tendencies or whatever and then you get them in a space where everyone's telling kind of the same story and you see a lot of interesting interesting directions you see what they bring to it and it's it's compelling in a sense of like, oh, I had no idea that that you know we were gonna end up in this situation, or or that the characters we play are are gonna end up meeting this person, or or like in combat with this this sort of this enemy, or or basically it it runs a it runs a pretty wide range, and it's 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 definitely intriguing from a perspective of seeing where that story takes you, not only individually but as a group. You know, see, that's the thing I'm most fascinated by is how, like, collectively I would tell a story. So I, that's what I would want to get into the most about this is I want to play it with, with Catherine because I feel like she'd be like a real wild card in these games. Like, sure. I, I, if, if she took it seriously, anyone can be. 
Like, I think she would just be like, and now we're flying. And I'm like, what the fuck? Like, I, don't, I mean, I don't know the stuff that you could actually do, but I know she would, like, ruin it for us. Like, she'd, like, instead of, like, talking nicely to someone, she'd pull a knife or something. Yeah. Now. And, but it's funny. It's it's also your perspective, right? So in, if you if you consider, you know, people that you would expect being, like, being, you know, I, I guess, like, impulsive or brash or, like, wanting to, like, settle things with violence then consider that instead of that being like ruining a situation, it instead forces you to be creative with maybe you have to diffuse the situation or maybe you you kind of get an opportunity to flex some creative muscle to come in and, and actually work around what people set up for you and vice versa. You know, you may try to set someone up to play out a situation as you have already played it out in your head and then they throw you a curveball based on kind of what where they wanted to take it and then it it becomes a really interesting play in in that sense as well all right let's i get now i've been kind this is kind of what i've understood about the game and like why i feel like i would like it but can i tell you my notions of the game you can tell me how wrong i am and kind of set the scene of how to start is it like a campaign or a I think it's a quest or whatever you do in the actual game. Can I explain what my thoughts are and you can tell me, one, how wrong I am or if maybe I'm on the right track or whatever. And then kind of set it up so we can teach myself and listeners how to set their own games in their own cities. Yeah. Yeah, go cool. for it. All right. So this is what I have in mind. I imagine there there is a physical table, like a board game on the table to kind of show movement or whatever. Um, one person has that weird trifold thing that you use to keep people from the cheating DM on your screen. tests. Yes. Yeah. And that's the dungeon master. Yes. That person has always has like a book of all the official rules of Dungeons and Dragons and stuff like that. Uh, they're kind of in charge and setting you up. Like basically they're the pitcher and you have to hit the home run. Like they try to set you guys up. Then you, let's just say three or four of you, you all have to create your own characters that are on like a little sheet or whatever. And then you're given a quest by the dungeon master and all three of you collectively have to go to solve it. And the part that I don't understand is rolling the dice. You roll a dice for certain movements. Like, should I attack this person? And like the higher numbers, the better chance it works. And you also have some sort of stat component that I don't understand either. Yeah. So you do. So you definitely have a good start. All right. There's definitely a lot to build on there. Um, there costumes. are even you. You can certainly. Do you? Uh, I I do for my current campaign. Hell yeah! I, do. <laughs> I wear not a full costume, but I wear a luchador mask. Uh, I'm intrigued. We'll get to this later. Mm-hmm. I'm um, excited now. That's a good so, little tease. Yeah, <laughs> professional podcast right there. There you go. And so, how wrong was I about? Okay. The setup of Dungeon. Here, here's my first my first bit of constructive criticism. What what you laid out as far as the the grid and the DM screen and the the characters the characters I think you need, but I think that there are even less dependence like dependencies in order to start a game than you might think. Well, that's so, interesting. For our personal game, we don't necessarily have a grid we don't we we kind of eyeball 
basically like footage to an enemy or footage from maybe like a cliff drop or something like that. Um, What is the grid for? So the grid is to basically mathematically determine like distance between you Uh, and a goal. So your characters will have like a speed um, value. So dexterity. Yeah, similar. They'll have a stat similar to, and I think it is based on maybe dex or it was based on probably racing class. But basically, that speed value will basically be for one turn. This is how much you have to allocate towards movement. So you might be able to move thirty feet. You might be able to move forty feet. You might have spells that might be able to make you or a certain amount of party members in your party move up to sixty feet or eighty feet. So the grid helps you determine what the boundaries are for that gotcha. speed. But so you don't use the grid, right? We don't, no. So we whiteboard in a sense okay. that we will do, we will still have a base idea of like, here's where everybody is relationally. So that way, that way there's, it's a good balance between like, you have the freedom to kind of, if you want to get creative, we're not going to let a grid kind of confine you to like, you don't want to do a flourish because you're actually like five feet with like past your boundary. But at the same time, it doesn't, there's an idea of theater of the mind, which is basically no whiteboard, no grid. Everyone just does it in their own shared imagination. And theater of the mind is a lot, is a lot harder to, you have to be very good to keep control of it. Right. So like a good DM can still like understand where everyone is relationally but it's a good benefit for everyone to have it at least written in a sense that is like, I, I want to cast this spell, but it, it goes like 200 feet in a straight line. And I need to know if there are friendlies, you know, behind an enemy that I want to attack ah. or something like that. That way it's still, there's still a good sense of control and a good sense of, of kind of limiting in a way or, or strategy in a way. Hmm. I always assumed it was a very structured game. So it's, I like knowing that Can you can be. play it a little bit more loose. It, yeah, that's the beauty of D&D is very much what you make it. It's it's totally, it's really just sort of, it's kind of really, I've been telling some people, it's kind of like it's just an improv game. It's really just like improv. It's just in a fantasy setting and, and there are some loose rules that, that truly you don't necessarily have to follow. I mean, they're just there to provide some sort of gate you know some barriers so that way there's a sense of progression there's a sense of of challenge but you can do really whatever you want um it's really just kind of up to you know the the party and the dm and really so long as it answers the question of is this fun like it is what i'm gonna do gonna be fun am i gonna enjoy it and are the people on my group gonna enjoy it and if so then i personally think it's fair game so how much work does the DM actually have to do? Because I know he has to put it, or he or she has to put in the most out of everybody, correct? Yeah, more than I would probably be able to explain. So I don't have experience DMing. I do know for a fact, at least from my personal, from my experience and from my understanding of what it takes, I know that the DM that we have for our group is basically has done a lot of work and is really good. As far as doing that work and has been able to lay out a lot of his vision in a way that a lot of the people in our group have um, 
played with and parlayed off of in a way that's been really entertaining. Interesting. Okay. So from my understanding, there are kind of like a book that you can buy that tells you this stuff. Did you buy that or do you just kind of have to? Um, so I didn't buy that. I was considering buying it and I still really am. But yeah, so essentially that's the player's handbook or PHB for short. That's essentially basically a starter guide. It's it's basically like here's a group of classes. Here are all the spells, here are items. Um, it's basically just kind of like a manual. I mean, it's... It's a handbook, so yeah, it's it's basically just reference material for, for like if you want to cast a specific spell or you want to you know attack or or grapple a certain enemy, you know there there are some rules that you can follow to help make the story or make it make sense, you know. Gotcha. This it's not like an outline of the story that you're going to do. It's like a, it's like a glossary of like, oh, I'm going to cast magic yeah. missile. Okay, well, according to here, magic missile goes this amount, does this much damage. Gotcha. Totally. But there are books that exist that are stories that you yeah. can you can use as a DM and say, you know, here are some guidelines where, from what I've seen, you you follow this path or you follow this story, and based on what your party does. The book will say, hey, if they go this route, if they decide to attack this person or they decide to to go to this in this direction, then here are some things to consider about how the NPC, the non-player character will would respond. So can you tell me a little bit about your campaign and where the inspiration came from? Like, did it come from a book or did it come from your, your DM's brain? So... When we started, I think we started at some point last year, um, we started with the base campaign, which a lot of people know, at least people familiar with it, know as the Minds of Fandelver. So it's it's a very, like, kind of by-the-book fantasy setting. Um, there are towns and, and, and just sort of fantasy items and equipment and 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 sort of societal structure um that that are at play and there's a good cast of characters and it's a really good really well i'm sure well practiced um introduction for a lot of people so when you research kind of minds of fandelver you see the things that are in in pop culture at least for our generation nowadays that are popular Things like the Adventure Zone, um, like the, that podcast, and and a lot of the a lot of the video series that are out there. A lot of people play Minds of Fandelver, so it makes it very interesting as far as comparing your experiences with your party and seeing how another group of people played it out. It, it makes it extremely interesting to go and see, and see and consume that material, and then see how people approach the same problems and how they solve them. You know what I'm saying? Just, like, it makes it, it yeah. it's really neat in that in that sense. So this is like kind of the basic like if you wanted to start out, this is an easy one. This is like a starter kit. Yeah, it's basically campaign. the starter pack. I mean, it's it, at the same way it's kind of antithetical to D&D to, to deem anything like a a like must do starter. I think that that's kind of against the nature of D&D, but if anything was to take that mantle, it's it's that story it's that minds of fandelver is kind of that that entry point the most common one weird i typed in the word minds and that was the first thing that popped up so yeah so you did this campaign and then this kind of 
this kind of tells you the basic map out of it, how you'll go through here. There's like a spider web, echo cave. Okay. Yes. So it kind Wait, of tells you. Cave. Yeah, a lot of good stuff. And so you guys kind of get this. When you have this starting thing, uh, you have to pick your characters, correct? Mm-hmm. Do yeah. you pick from like a list of characters that are in this map or, or can you just be like, I'm Robbie and I am a dwarf? Yeah, you can be whatever you like. The uh, So I don't know a lot of the Minds of Fandelver book because I did not DM the session. So I, I elected not to research it or read into it. Gotcha. But to my knowledge, you you can the setting the setting doesn't confine you to a certain list of characters. Okay. So whatever environment you play in, whatever the setting actually is, you you you're not given just a a basic list of characters from okay. which you can actually choose and make your decisions. So like the dude you create and this one can go to a different one. It's not like you have to choose between this orc, this elf. Because they're on this quest, you can do whatever you want. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I guess, really, it's hard for me to give a concrete answer for anything because I think that truly, in the end, the DM and and the party can really make their own rules. That's one thing I've learned from from D and D is that it's it's you're left to your own devices in a sense. See, I thought this was a very structured. That's one of the reasons why I wasn't into it is because like I knew the DM has like a lot of work to do. And then I knew there were rule books for other people to kind of follow. So I thought like, oh shit, like you have to follow these rules or this game is not fun. Well, so, so I'm, I, I think it's I think it's a good point. It's that f- there are people out there who, who think that though, that if you don't yeah. follow certain rules, it's not fun. It, it's That's all true. about what's fun for you and your group. There are people who think that the, the, the structure and the rigidity of the rules of your restricted movement and the the actions you can take and the rations you need to eat to like if you travel to a certain town you need to like be drinking water and eat food like there are people that also enjoy that sort of pressure of of what you need to manage you know there it's a sliding scale it's all about what you find fun that's what's most important whatever whatever you find is fun to you it might be fun for different people or it might not be fun for maybe your friends in the area or something like that. I think that it's all about finding people who can who can play with each other and and enjoy themselves and tell an interesting story and not not be kind of hung up on too many restrictions or, or too light. It's it's all about kind of finding a, a good group that you enjoy the experience with. I never assumed that you could have like basically different like, kind of difficulty levels. I assumed that it was always like one thing and then you would download or buy new stories that were like tougher and you had to be like strong and quick, quick witted to get past that stuff. So it's intriguing to know that there's, I can kind of almost jump into it myself as long as someone else helps me with it. Yeah. So next time you're in a comic shop or a bookstore or you see some D and D books for sale anywhere, take one out and if you look at the back like on i think it's on the back cover it might be on the front flap but those books that are actually put out by i think wizards of the coast um they'll actually tell you like a suggested level range so the books will tell you they'll they will adhere to the rules and they'll say like this is a this is a good campaign for like you start at level five like level five to 15 so you start at level five and then by the level 15, like, you're kind of wrapping things up, you know? So they give you some, like, guidelines. 
and and there's if you're a dm there's an idea of like keying keying your enemies for for different levels or different like amounts of characters right because from session to session you may have a smaller party because you know real life got in the way for one of your normal party members or you have a friend from the outside who wants to join maybe they come in for that session you can key those battles differently to accommodate kind of a fluctuation in your group size so the the game has really kind of lent itself to some mobility that from the outside you didn't know you wouldn't expect it to be there okay something that i am really fascinated by is i'm fascinated by the character creation mode so i want to know about how you created your character what was your kind of basis what were your what made you because i know you felt pretty well I'm intrigued to know uh, your decision-making process into your character. Yeah, definitely. I, um, as far as character creation goes, um, the first time for the for the first campaign that we did, we did Minds of Phandelver, I ended up rolling a warlock, specifically a tome lock, which is basically a warlock with a tome that allows this character to like earn to like learn additional spells. To learn additional cantrips, basically, that it can cast, like, at will outside of battle and, and within battle without using slots. So, without getting too deep into the thickets, basically, like, you have spell slots that basically serve as your your allotment of spells you can cast before you need to take a long rest. Or, or in, for some classes, a short rest, and you regain your spell slots. They're basically a way to kind of police you know, spellcasters so that they're not... They're all in an effect of kind of balance, character balance, right? So... Yeah. Now, so I ran a Warlock the first time. I really enjoyed it. Um, it was a lot of cantrips, a lot of kind of like small small stuff, like illusions and, and things that that are good thematically, that are fun to, to use in a non-combat setting, which I really enjoyed. But also things that had utility in combat, not just for like attacking a an enemy, but also for like assisting party members who are like the quote unquote tanks or or the healers or or whatnot, defense and stuff like that. Now you yeah. said you rolled this character. What does that mean? Oh, does that mean like you rolled the dice? Oh, so that means like you picked your role. I I I really just kind of said roll. It just says like that's what I created. Okay. Um, I didn't necessarily. I didn't necessarily roll the stats. I guess for people to play D&D, there's an idea of like you can allocate your stats a certain way where you have points that you allocate certain like similar to like when you create a character in an RPG like like Baldur's Gate or or Diablo Mm -hmm. where you kind of allocate your points accordingly based on the class you choose. That's what I did for that warlock class where like I you basically have like a structure of like, okay, your strength is going to be low but you're going to have high like charisma and you're going to have high like int to be able to cast spells. Um, but, but like no decks or, or, or strength, like you're not a jock or whatever. Um, but for okay you know, campaign I, I, after that, I did an actually, actually roll. There's also an, there's, there's an idea of like a, just straight up rolling for your character where you actually roll the dice and the dice determine like what your actual stat allocation is much more random but thematically, it can play into some really interesting... It can put you in interesting spots that force you to play, like, you know, someone who's, like, a gothic 
spellcaster, but he may have like really high charisma. So now he's like someone that that is you know talking his way out of situations, or like an extremely strong, like big like bard who's like meant to be charismatic, but maybe they're like a extremely strong or something like that. You can work that into a character, similar to to like the improv point from before. It's like it it gives you rolling, kind of gives you the motivation and the yeah, direction it takes you out of your, your comfort zone like sure oh if yeah. you're always gonna play a, a, a healing mage well this time you're the you're the tank okay so your <sighs> character so young. your first warlock yes. did you pick that category or did you yes okay so that's what you yeah, wanted to I, be like I, I picked i that was totally what i wanted i picked the race and i picked the class i was a tiefling warlock what's a tiefling so a tiefling is like a demonic creature Ooh. it's basically like basically like human height but but they're more they're a charismatic race and kind of more like a infernal i guess is the the terminology from the handbook um i really picked it because my experiences with um tieflings like seeing them in D, like in in pop culture and stuff is they were kind of like not like brooding and, and gothic or whatever, but more of like they they could be played in sort of like a sarcastic, like kind of light sort of way. Like I, I was like a fae warlock, which is basically like um like an arch fae is like basically like your god, right? So like you serve this deity that basically like tells you of your motivations and like and basically gives you the the drive to go and and you know see seek out your personal end goal. And I liked that that perspective of like playing a sort of like like flippant sort of like um, I, I don't know like a, like a, a sarcastic sort of like d- doesn't really care. I always uh, well, I play like games like this. I always like max out my charisma so I can talk my way out of a lot of problems. So yeah, I feel like that's what I would, like I would always do for something like that if I did this game like i would be like a archer or like a thief like a like a rogue that's a type right yeah or something like exactly. that yeah i figured that's yeah. what i would always be now yeah, you said you rogues, had a second interesting yeah i think playing like a rogue and and a lot of those other classes are also really neat i, I think that maybe me personally i feel like there is a there's sort of a a sort of like preconceived notion as far as like you play a certain class you're kind of this type of individual or like this this type of character within the world but that's not really necessarily true um, you can kind of be be whatever you want for any of those classes like you can be a rogue who necessarily works like in the shadows right is working for like sneak attacks but you can still be kind of like a a like goofy very amiable personality like out out of combat, which I think I think those those kind of juxtapositions are really interesting. But and and there's a little bit of that in our party now, which I think I think is really neat. But but I like that it it breaks the boundaries in that way. Now, when you're making decisions in the game for your campaign, are you making your decisions as Robbie, or when you try to make decisions, are you trying to make it as your your? I try to make them as the character. Yeah, okay. I try and make them as the character. So, I, and I think that's that's kind of good practice. I think that to make them as the player is a little sort of not really like disingenuous, but it kind of does a disservice to the story that's being told. It, at least this is totally in my opinion. Again, like I am not an authority on yeah. like how to play D and D or the right way to play it or anything like that. 
I think that I, I think that what's important to know is that in the end, or at least how I concluded, is that in the end you're assuming a role, right? You're playing a character. So to me, I try to best understand what what is the character's motivations, like what what has the story been up until this point? Who in the party have I like interacted with the most? Who I may have a higher level of comfort than than the others, or who might may I have vendetta against because of like something that happened in the past, especially as like a warlock character. Like it, it was kind of like my my character definitely had like a sense of sort of like begrudging, right? So so being motivated by like a higher power, like the motivations of my party members, it were never meant to be something that really affected me all that greatly. So then a lot of the assistance I would do for the party is kind of begrudging, right? So that's kind of where I came from, from a motivational standpoint. And then a lot of that stuff I would try to play into like future interactions with the characters in a way that obviously is still like allows them to play off it and allows it to be sort of fun for them. At least, at least I try to make it that way. Sounds interesting. I, I, I would like to watch you and my other Bostonian friends play. I can only imagine Thief playing this game. Is he good? <laughs> Yeah, totally. All everyone in our party, I think, is really good. I like. I really enjoy it, not just because I think the game is really fun, but I think that the people in our party, I think, do a really good job. And I think that a lot of them are, they bring such sort of different approaches to it that I think are, they're always surprising, right? So, or a lot of what they do is, is it's it's neat it's like someone different might take take the lead so you feel like you could see a conversation going a certain way it's like the out of combat stuff i think is really interesting with them because it's also it's a group of people we've known for a long time so to have them like assume these roles and kind of work in that same creative space it's really interesting and and they approach it in different ways that i think uh make it so exciting even after even like in the midst now of our second campaign, there's still a lot of new stuff happening. A lot of like, a lot of approaches and, and solutions to problems that I that I can't predict. How do you pick like a good group of people to do it with? Like, if, if you try to control the output as far as like I want certain people in this group because I think it'll go a certain way, I think you're you're cheating yourself out of the experience at some point. I think it's good to have people that you don't know what they would do in the group in there because it, it kind of throws um, it throws a, a new angle at it that that you'll you'll come to find is rewarding and I think that 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 is a really really beneficial aspect of the campaign that that I think really raises it to an, another level of, of enjoying the experience and, but at the same time there's still a baseline of like I want to play with people who understand a concept of like of like an improv or whatever you talk about like yes and which is like someone presents something to you you don't just shoot it down you say like you roll with it by saying like yes and then this happens you know it's like a continuation practice right mm -hmm. so you know there is an understanding that it's like you want people that are good at at taking what you give them and and taking it somewhere else and and being able to kind of set you up i guess in a way or or like know how to 
keep it keep the conversation going i guess um yeah i get but, it make conversations go I host a little podcast where i make people talk to me if i can totally. have it yeah um but i think that i think that it's 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 just important to just approach it in a way that's like that you feel like you would have fun with the group you're with be it and it, that doesn't mean it has to be like your close friends like it, it can be a group of people you know are into it that that may be strangers but if everyone's there to have a good time and to tell a story then that's that's all you need everything else is personal preference uh, what i find interesting about our conversations so far like i could talk to you and ask you questions about this for more hours than we've already done but yeah sure i gotta kind of round make this at least relatively interesting for people i mean they listen to it once a month they 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 need they love this, it this is a weekly podcast yeah it's a weekly about. podcast but um, so far you've talked about it and the, the, the best parts about the game or what I thought there'd be is like interacting with my friends and creating like this kind of creative outlet for these weird fantasy stories. I've always liked fantasy and stuff like that and enjoyed that medium and stuff. But what I, what I was I'm shocked by is you have barely mentioned how it's like an actual game and the, the gameplay is the fun. Is the actual gameplay fun or is it just creating a story with your friends is that the fun part i think the gameplay is is really fun but the gameplay is really part of the story too i think that the the actual the real like gameplay it's it's not really just like combat it's not like i choose to attack somebody and then i roll to see if i make that hit Mm -hmm. or 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 not but you'll also you'll also like play the game um, by rolling to see if you succeed in in like a persuasion check or an insight check, you may you may want to learn more about like a dusty book on a shelf you found in a cave, or you may try to convince a shopkeeper to give you a good deal on something you want. Hmm. That that might be something where you know this is all the flavor of the DM, but the DM might make it so that you would roll to to see if you fail or succeed you it, he can choose to put you at a crossroad of of letting the die determine if you know which way you'll take the story now the die part is the part that confuses me the most about it how much like i know the die controls your actions but let's say you're like in a fight with like orcs or goblins or something sure and they're attacking you and you roll the dice like do you have time to like sit and think about what you're going to do or do is it like quick? Like can he, if you don't um, roll the dice fast enough, can the DM be like, and the goblin attacked you. And if you, if you're like panicking, like does it ever get fast paced? I guess. Cause I always uh, feel like it's kind of a slow adventure. Yeah. I mean, yes and no. Um, it can be fast paced. So it can be fast paced, but at, at the same time, it's still performed in turns combat at least okay so there's still like an order of turns the 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 goblin or the enemy so to speak can't necessarily just jump out of the order to attack you because you took too long got it but the dm like has the freedom to kind of get creative at least before combat is initiated to maybe punish you if you're not able to decide fast enough outside of combat in those situations um You'll still roll to see if you succeed or fail on what you want to try and do, um, and I th- and I, I think like a normal round, right? Of of everyone taking an action 
It's like all the the quote-unquote hero characters and all the enemy characters, they all take an action that is meant to be like simultaneously. Like one round is supposed to be six seconds. Uh So that everything is supposed to be kind of happening all at once. So therefore there is sort of an idea of like this is all moving fast. It's supposed to kind of curb the idea of like there's a term of like metagaming where you can't like consult your party members on what you're going to do. You're supposed to just kind of do it. And then your party members have their things they would do and they would just do it. You know, it's kind of like if you're in the situation of, you know, I'm, I'm in, I'm like actually in the situation of like, I need to kill something that's trying to kill me. You know, you don't have time to like consult other people on what you should do. You just act. You should kill and that so thing. It's, it's kind of trying to simulate that same, that same sort of feeling. Okay. That makes it a little bit easier. Like, I didn't know how like yeah. fast paced would actually be. Now it's I am not super fast paced because the dice still determine like your success or fail. So, and it's good because that sort of slowdown in that perspective, or or at least in that in that moment of rolling and 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 plotting out your action, it that slowness helps build the suspense, right? So, someone wants to perform an action, they roll. There's that brief second to three seconds of like suspense of like is it gonna pass or fail what's gonna happen you know what how does that change my actions accordingly if if you know depending on how this role in front of me goes fuck i had a really good question i've i lost it Uh, I will say, um, I think that our party's been really good as far as we have a lot of characters who represent different, like, fighting styles. And so, and and then they also have different personality styles, just them as individual player characters and them as their, their characters, as, as the players and as the player characters. Um, different, like, personalities that help make it, help make combat very interesting, but also out of combat very interesting in that... In that way. Oh, now I remember what I was going to say. We were talking about rolling the dice. Um, is this a different die, or is it the same type as one the six-sided dice we previously talked about? Yeah, so to roll to pass or fail on on basically your your like attacks or your out-of-combat basically checks... Um, or saving throws or what have you you'll roll a d20 okay. so that is like if you look up like a, if you think of like a dice or like dice meant meant for D D, that that is the one that comes to mind the one that actually has 20 sides i'm shocked that you said you've only you're only in your second campaign mm-hmm. now i know these kind of take a long time and i know they're multiple sessions but how long is like a typical session with you and your friends so for our sessions, we probably play um, we probably play for around three hours okay. in one session, maybe as many as five. That makes sense. That's what I was kind of imagining. And then the, with the way scheduling is always hard, so you have to go forever. And okay, yeah. we can't do Tuesdays. We can do these. Okay. But if you had a campaign similar to Minds of Fandelver, where the end goal was to distri- kill the dragon or whatever. You're probably, I mean, I I have no idea how long it would take, like, in one session. It took us months. Makes sense. Yeah, of, of broken up sessions. So it is so a long process. It a long-ass time. But it also. Yeah. Now, 
do you ever do the thing where you took a lot of time off and then you try to jump back in the Dungeons and Dragons? You're like, where the yeah, fuck are we? Tough. Who are it's we? Tough. What's it's in my tough. backpack? Like, yeah. okay. Sometimes if we come back two weeks later, for us, it's story. It's story, like, it's thematics. So we come back and we don't really know what was the last thing we did. But you use the character sheet to log, like, what's in your inventory and what your character is capable of at the time, like, statistically. Okay. And can you so, level up? I know you said you could, like, you picked yeah. up, like, five through Yeah, 15. I, I honestly, to be honest, I feel like we've skipped over a lot of, like, like extreme basics of how to play the game. I feel like we but, did, too. I think we just mostly talked about collective storytelling. Yeah, which is basically. What I'm most into. So, um, you're a little warlock. You start off, yeah. let's say, level one in that mm-hmm. campaign, and mm-hmm. you can level up and get more powers and stuff like that. Yeah. What, what level did you end up by the end of the campaign? I think I ended up maybe at level four at the end wow. of the, cam- the campaign, which is not not very high. Yeah. Not good at all. You don't the have campaign any we're at now, we're at level five already. So, and and the end doesn't it doesn't seem like it's soon. So, now if you brought your warlock into the second campaign, would he still be level four? That's or a good would, question. Or would you have That's something to... that, that would require me talking with the DM to figure out how it would go. Um, I would love to reprise that character <laughs> to play it in a, another campaign, um, but not really feasible for what we're doing now, but it's something that I've had on my mind to uh, bring back out. And you had a second character that's in this new campaign that you said you wear yes. a luchador mask in real life when you play. Yes, that. so in this, this in this campaign, I am a luchador. Hell yeah! Um, yeah, so I'm a Goliath race luchador. Goliaths are basically just like giant, like not really rock men, but like they're not like a rock race, but like they have like kind of stone skin. In a way, would you say they're, um, they're strong very, and reclusive? Every day brings a new challenge to a Goliath. I would imagine so. It seems like you you probably are, are all over it. Um, I can I can really have that page open. But yeah, so I'm a I think a seven foot six Goliath luchador. So it, it's it's been an there's an interesting wrinkle, right? So like the Goliath is very like imposing and like kind of strong. But as a luchador, there's there is a level of like of like maybe the strength isn't all it appears to be. And actually, there is like just a really high charisma level. There's like an idea of kayfabe, right, in my character so that I for me, like I in this campaign, not to not to totally like reveal how the sausage is made from the inner workings of my character. I want I want how the sausage is made. But but basically basically like the character is is basically like any wrestler kind of not not actually as strong as they appear but is able to just sell it you know just keeps kayfabe on on the idea that they're extremely strong and what's kayfabe? and then is you know kayfabe is like it so it's the idea that like you you never like drop the mask like so in wrestling oh gotcha professional wrestling it's like you always like keep up with the you're the always story in character you, I get you're it. never out of character yeah you always keep kayfabe to like to you know keep face basically um and and that's kind of what what happens with uh, that's at least the approach now um, see, with my character 
I assumed your luchador was like, just you had a luchador mask at your house. You're like, it'd be funny if I wore this and pretended I was luchador. I did not realize there was an official class of Dungeons Is and there Dragons. One? Yeah. So it's so there's a homebrew one. I don't know if that's where you are, if you're on the homebrew page or not. I'm going through there's all kinds of There's a homebrew class. There's a homebrew class that I did adopt for for the class, but but essentially it is something someone wrote. So that that's another thing we could get into, which is basically their their homebrew classes, which homebrew is obviously just stuff outside of of what's designated by the D and D company, Wizards of the Coast. People who who love D and D, who also love some other aspect of their life, some interest, and then they marry the two. So in 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 this this homebrew luchador class, someone took the idea of a luchador and what makes a luchador what it is, and then applied it to the to the sort of boundaries and 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 the skill set of like of a typical sort of or like the closest analog to a D class and so you get you also see another really creative outlet there of you see people like writing rules for this character and saying like they can do this at this level and they they attempt to balance it balance that character to make it work make it interesting um, and so I've borrowed the homebrew class and it's something I found on Google. I'm sure you're probably there now or, or, I'm, or I'm kind of skimming through everything else. just to try to learn. Yeah. I did not realize, see, I thought there was a lot yeah, less so, stuff and I knew yeah, you could so be you kid wanted, wrote that. I didn't know you could, there's all this other stuff to play around with. This is interesting. This is, I'm back in on being way more interested in this <laughs> than I thought I was. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so it's really interesting. So I've kind of borrowed what someone's already written for that character. And someone else in my campaign, he and I have, have actually modified it in a way. So we have a luchador that's able to like call on different spirits, like luchador spirits, to have them like grapple like ethereal enemies. So that way, like if we if we encounter like an apparition or something, I'm not like totally worthless. Because like my skills are based around grappling and subduing enemies, so if we fight like transparent or ethereal enemies, I'm worthless. But now there's this idea of like ancestral lucha spirits that can be called forth to actually do the grappling of only ethereal enemies that that help kind of provide a twist that makes luchador more feasible or more fun to play, you know. This is way more. I, I see. I assumed you were you were just being dumb. This is fascinating that you can actually, like, you can you can literally yeah. morph it to match your fun style. Now, yeah, did and, you? And it it goes way further than Lucidor. I'm sure it does. I okay. Now, what are your character's name? Is My it... character in this campaign, the Lucidor is El Gato Salvaje, Ooh. which is Spanish for the Wildcat. I like that. That's yeah. very on brand for you. Yeah, it is extremely on brand. <laughs> But yeah, so I figured that would be easy, and in a way that yeah, it's on brand, and I enjoy it. So I like playing that character. Yeah, and I just like it. I like the idea of playing up because it is very much out of my comfort zone. Playing like an extremely charismatic like showman, who's like trying to be out and be the center of attention and try to like appease a crowd. Yeah, that doesn't sound like you, you know. Who's like a a performer? It's very like it, it kind of gets me thinking about the approach in a way that's different from how I would act in, in reality. Oh, we are going long on time. I expected that's fine. Um, 
I have a couple more quick questions that I think. It's okay. I, I actually have a lot more to talk about. So. Yeah, we opened a second like door, and now there's like a shit tons. I have, I have so there's, many questions. There's a ton to talk. We still haven't talked about Critical Role, which is my main inspiration. I would say. <laughs> Can you tell me a time when you tried to set up something and then it just went the shit? Like best um, kind of worst moment. Like has that stuff happened? Because like you said, it is all like an improv game. Like you lob it up, they're supposed to slam it down. But instead, yeah. you lob it up and it just bounces off their face. Has that happened before? So, um, let's see. There was a time. Um, I can think of something that went really poorly recently. Okay. As far as um, in this current campaign, um, there was a need. So, I think as part of my character, as I, I, I try to kind of be. So, I have like kind of a low like intelligence and wisdom so i'm purposely sort of like out of the loop and try to like not follow super closely um the the story (laughs) um i still try to follow it in in a way of like understanding what's happening and knowing like where to be Mm -hmm. but there's still like there's still i i want to be genuine in my character's like ability to or inability to kind of provide good insight uh. <laughs> um, and as far as my literature character, so I do that by like trying to kind of like divert my attention. Um, so there was a time where I think Fief and I, Fief is kind of a, uh, Fief is a necromancer in our current campaign. And we were both tasked with tailing a, someone who is a member of a council, like a high council. Mm-hmm. And we were trying to follow this person, right? Followed him back to like his, um, his like i guess like office in a way where like the the part of the council that he oversaw like his his like office as far as in that region like chambers yes in a way and and like getting into infiltrating that building and getting into there to like trying and, and like take him by surprise and interrogate him was just sort of like a weird comedy of errors as far as like all right here's our methodology for like how to tail this guy and follow him and then we were just like instantly discovered and then tried to get through the back entrance and and barely were able to to get through and then the the person we were following it like shows up in their office and we're there and we're trying to kind of make up something on the fly as to why we're there and just a total disaster right someone we suspected like had like malintentions and then i think turned out to actually be just sort of like the the brooding like like good guy but but like part of the character that i guess was like the sort of like like cold like wise type right um and so that was a disaster as far as like trying to get any information out of him when when Fief and I are both trying to like, as far as in our character, be like shrewd or like not not show our hand, right? Mm-hmm. But then still try to get information, but but lacking the sort of persuasion to actually do do anything of 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 benefit to our team, right? So yeah. it's it's just a total so you disaster. Were trying to get information, but your character is too dumb to actually get information. We're we're too dumb to stealth. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, too 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 like big and and bumbling and and stupid to like stealth appropriately to pick up information. And then when the cover's blown, also too stupid to like to like talk your way into uh into like kind of getting getting anything out of the situation. 
Now, why did they send you two to do this instead of two um, more training I, I, for, I, I, uh, <laughs> That's a good question. <laughs> I forget uh, why. I think they, they were predisposed with something else. But I think they they had something more important to do. We were we were kind of gathering intel, which I guess was probably low low risk, lower risk compared to what what they needed to do. Now, in the is the mood at the table when you guys are bumbling and fucking up? Is it like, haha, this is funny, or is it like, god damn it, we're fucking up this thing right now? It's a mixture of both, which I think is the best. Okay, that sounds like <laughs> I think it's good if you get a generous if if you get like a an a genuine reaction of like I'm entertained by this, but at the same time I am like actually frustrated <laughs> that you guys are fucking this up so badly. Dedicated I think hours to this. I think that's where you're hitting that's where you're hitting the good spot of like there's a good investment level, but also there's it's fun. You know, there's still like enjoyment to be had out of the failures as much as there are out of the successes that sounds great you've honestly sold yeah. dungeons and dragons for me i'm gonna have to definitely <laughs> talk to my very few friends in cincinnati uh, i'm intrigued i'm gonna yeah. i'm gonna have to skype in on one of your sessions or something yes definitely <laughs> come up if you come up during pax you can sit yeah. in and we'll have a session um, there we, be there's fun. so much more i want to talk to you about this but we're already like well, well, I know a lot of this is getting cut. All the vulgarity oh, is getting well, cut out. But I want to tell you, if you, I want to talk a little bit about Critical Role, as I mentioned earlier. I think that was a really good inspiration for me and has definitely helped with getting D&D as far as mainstream. It's it's basically a Twitch stream on um, Geek and Sundry, I think is the channel that hosts it. Um, it's a bunch of voice actors for like video games. And I think maybe... Some of them are in TV shows, or at least one of them is. But they, uh, they're really good. They do like a D and D session that they started at home that is now on this Twitch stream. It's extremely popular, um, but it's extremely, it's very inspirational. If you watch it, it's it's kind of like they're voice actors, so it's like a little dramatic. It's very serious in ways, but they're also it's still very fun. Um, they're they're total like pros. But but it inspires you to want to like get started in a way, and I think it helped inspire me at least in understanding that like not trying to emulate what I see, but like see that and then know that like I have a good group of friends that I really like that I would want to participate in it with um, to then go and kind of create our own stories out of yeah. it. And I think that was a big help. Oh, it's I... definitely something I recommend for you as far as getting a better understanding of how it works. If I didn't talk to you about this or know about the various like kind of comedy podcast stuff about this. I thought D and D was like ultra serious all the time. So like knowing that there's like Carmen quest exists or yeah. the one that Brian Prosane does uh nerd poker. Like there's all these like different oh, things cool. that not familiar. I know the adventure zone is really yeah. popular too with the McElroy's. Yeah, the Mac Brothers. Um, like, I know they have a gigantic one, so I I didn't know it was something that you couldn't do. Like, see, either you had to be like, yeah, okay, and then we're gonna. Yeah, the Adventure Zone is a great recommendation for like a much less serious uh, approach. Um, I, I think that there's a lot of really good um, source material out there to help understand. Um, not necessarily like how to approach it, but like understand that there is a there's no wrong way to approach it. It's intriguing. 
And yeah, Steve it's really neat. I think Harmon Quest and a lot of that stuff has come out at a really good time to where like a lot of this is now popular and then there's a lot of good good influences out there to help you know that it's okay to approach it any way you'd like and kind of make the story your own. Nice. Hmm? Yep. A lot of people, um, I guess, varying levels of fame all, a lot of fucking all enjoy... Uh, yeah, they're all, all truly they are all nerds. I know that Thomas Middleditch, I think, is out there like Oh yeah. Talking about D and D and playing it a lot. Um I know uh John Hader is on on Critical Role occasionally, like as a character. Yeah. And is on there like kinda on, playing with them, which quest. is cool. John Hader did. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's fun. So what is something like a tip that you can give my listeners? To start in their own game. It's just something kind of broad or whatever. However much you want to do it. I think you've already kind of um, sold. Have fun with it. Be loose. Do yeah, something. definitely. Those are definitely the main takeaways. I think the tip is that if you feel compelled to want to like tell that story, if you have a history like doing plays or, or improv or, or it's interesting to you to want to like have that sort of banter and that sort of um that sort of um kind of shared narrative with people i think it is totally worth worth um researching and and worth just taking a stab at i think that you can research like D and you can research um different different um campaigns and that'll that'll get you somewhere definitely but the main takeaways is that you you can create whatever you want, and, and if you have people that are willing to go along with you, um, then you can create something that's that's really rewarding, and it doesn't require a lot to get started. I will say too, I just I know we've talked a little bit about it, but I want to shout out as far as like that I, I'm really fortunate to be in the group that I'm in. I I feel like the people that we have, we have a good representation of a bunch of different sort of styles and approaches but also our our actual dm the campaign we're doing now is a homebrew campaign so i have a homebrew character and then he also wrote the entire campaign that we're doing now so like that is also a possibility if you don't want to like get a story like buy a book that gives you the story you can if you if you have a story you want to tell and you think would be fun for people to participate in you can just write a campaign and People, if you have people to go along, you'd probably be shocked and pleasantly surprised to see where people take, you know, your story. You know, I can't speak for Eric, but I'm sure that he gets a kick out of the things he wrote that now we approach them and he sees us organically on the spot, like solve these problems. Yeah, I bet that is very satisfying, like writing kind of thing. I wonder how many fantasy writers yeah. have actually started out, out as like DMs. I bet there's like a Man, good Man, I can only imagine. Yeah, I can only imagine. I, I know I read a little bit of like Patrick Rothfuss, I know, is like a pretty pretty well known like fantasy writer, but he he definitely has some some background in like D and D and and that sort of um as far as like participating in, in that sort of space. So I know that that those experiences help play into 
how those stories get told. And you mentioned Game of Thrones earlier. I imagine George R. R. Martin definitely has those same experiences as well. Yeah, there's there's no way that he wasn't a DM at one point in his life. Sure. <laughs> Yeah, and, and if and it goes in the other direction too. Like people might watch Game of Thrones and then they learn about D and D, and they I, there are parallels to make there to say like, oh, I see, I see how this can be fun because you can imagine the same sort of environment that that in your mind is just as compelling as sitting down and watching Game of Thrones, which which for a lot of people isn't isn't a compelling mm-hmm. experience. Look at you. You are secretly an expert on some D and D. There you go. You learned, uh, at least this, the psychology of it. I'm before here. we started, you were so nervous. Now, a minute, for, uh, an hour and 40. Was I? Yeah, you're right. I'm no expert. I'm going to look up what my first campaign was. I got to work all this stuff up. What? <laughs> <laughs> okay, you can try to out me if you want, but okay. No, you, I hear you. I see where you're going. okay. You taught me a lot. I can't wait to Skype we in. We need to... Um, yeah, I'm I'm ready to be a regular guest on this podcast. I have a lot of other topics we can talk about. I have so many people want to be on it, and I'm so bad at scheduling, so I'm always down. <laughs> Ugh, whatever. Uh, thank- um, I think the future goal the uh, before you you send me off. I uh, I think the goal for this is we get at least a good representation of the D and D group to talk about shared experiences together or record a session. Yeah. And have I'll, it have I'll it. I'll do up. like an addendum episode as a as a bonus episode. Yeah, I'll record you guys. Or I'll come up there and I'll see you guys. I'll interview your DM or something. Do like a street. There you go. I'll, I'll use my cool yes. dramatic piano thing, and we can straight up interview them. Yes, perfect. It'll be like uh, what what is it in reality TV shows? The the like confession, yeah. whatever. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I would. Reality shows is more your. I don't know. Your I would love area of expertise. I'd love to have you on. We could talk about reality shows. We can talk about whatever you want. We can talk about the kitty cats. I would love to talk mm-hmm. about whatever. We can talk about my favorite reality show, Wicked Single. Ooh. That's my <laughs> favorite reality show. There's some Google homework for you. I'm already on it. All right. A good uh, trivia for you on Wicked Single is that our friend... Thief was on Wicked Single. No, in the background. I think. <laughs> no way. <laughs> we were we were at a bar while oh, that was filming. Yeah, I do remember that. And it was. I think he was in the background, or uh, I don't remember what happened, but something that's hilarious. Well, there are only also the concept for that. Yeah, it was canceled immediately because it was a bad idea. It was a terrible idea. Uh, but yeah, there's a little bit of homework. I'm definitely. I'm all about this. Uh, thank you so much, Robbie, for being on here. Thank you for no problem. Been trying to do this. There's a lot more. To, there's so much more to talk about, but we can. I think we've it. literally been trying to do this for a year now. <laughs> I think when you it's been when long you first enough. pitched this idea, you're like, "Hey, man, I just started playing Dungeons and Dragons. I think this would be a really fun idea to talk about." <laughs> and now we did it, and I'm like, "Well, we're into our yeah. second campaign. I'm on so. level five. Yeah." It's, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it really goes to show. Now you've totally outed us on how long it's taken. Oh, us no, to get I have this notes together. in here. Like I, I casually mentioned Vin Diesel earlier. My plan was to talk about Fast and the Furious a lot because this was supposed to come out when the yeah, Fast and Furious right. Seven Ask came out. <laughs> Ask Robbie how the Blizzard was. So I was like, "How was the Blizzard?" <laughs> I heard you can't park your, you can't park your car out there. Like, 
<laughs> oh man. Okay. Well, I'm glad we at least got it. Together. Yeah, I, I'm a really bad. I love doing better this. Late than I, never. I feel like I'm, I've got. I get better at hosting it each time, but then mm-hmm. I'm just so bad at scheduling my friends. Yeah. So I can't wait to have everyone back on here. I have stuff in the pipeline still. So check out good episodes coming up. Uh, follow it on Facebook. Actually say something to me on there so I know I'm not screaming to the void because I stopped doing it whenever no one responds to anything. Mm. Um, yeah, if you want to be on. I'll be sure to give you yeah, replies. If you want to be on here, send um, me a message. Can I, wait, can I also do self-promotion? Yeah. Can I pimp uh, my, Just... my, whatever, my work I've got coming up? Okay, so follow me on Twitter. Oh, yeah, follow Robbie on Twitter. <laughs> follow me on Twitter, Russell Me Timber. Yeah. Um, a lot of good insights there on... <sighs> Brexit. I don't know. A lot of good retweets, <laughs> and that's really it. And then some thoughts on Brexit. Yes, I'm the number one source for Brexit. A lot of good uh, Brexit takes. Um, definitely on my Twitter. So hit me up there. And then also my um, uh, my uh, MySpace and WeChat. Also, Russell Me Timber. Hit me up on WeChat. Send me um, send me em- emojis of that that cat guy. With the ears, you know. You know what I'm I don't, about. but I like. The I want to end it right here where it just ends. See me those pictures of the cat guys and blank. But yeah, thanks everybody. Yeah. Thank you so much All for right. listening. If you there still you are, which I doubt it, so I would say hi, mom, but she doesn't listen to the podcast. Except for mom, my mom's still listening. So hi. Oh yeah, hi, 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 hi Catherine. Thanks for listening. Hi, Brian. Hi, Catherine. Catherine, thanks yeah, for thanks listening. Thanks for listening, Brian. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening. A uh, guy in Eastern <laughs> Europe who likes all my stuff on SoundCloud for some reason. Uh, <laughs> thank you, everybody. You know what would be great, though, is that in the, through the, as time goes on, people will look back and they'll know who the, the original listeners were. Once you get really yeah. popular, they're like, who is Brian? They'll come back and they'll know Brian, Catherine, Anthony. man, they were there day one. <laughs> Anthony, day one. Thanks, guys. Bye. All right.